0: Is wise, the one who learns from others. Join me on a journey where I speak to Jewish women from all backgrounds, each sharing their own stories, struggles, and successes. Join a community where you connect to something bigger
1: than yourself. I'm your host, Karen Corin, and welcome to Soul Sessions with KK. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode four of Soul Sessions with KK. I'm your host, Karen Corin, or KK. And my next guest is the wonderful and remarkable Tamar Betsalelli. I have been dreaming of interviewing Tamar for a very, very long time, and it is my honor and privilege for her to be on my show. Tamar is a dating and relationship consultant, and she's currently getting her master's in social work. Getting to this point was no walk in the park, nor is it an easy period in her life right now, but Tamar teaches us that life its not supposed to be easy, but it can be great even with all of its challenges. With her incredible perseverance and her resilience, Tamar is an extraordinary role model to those who are privileged to know her. Get ready for a podcast that will challenge you, motivate you, and empower you. Without further ado, I'd love to welcome the wonderful Tamar Betaleli.
0: Hello, everybody. I am here with the wonderful Tamar Betaleli. Tamar is an honor and a pleasure for you to come and speak to me and to speak to countless other people who are now listening to our interview right now. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and who
2: you are and what you do? Sure. I am, um, I was born into an Ashkenazi family, mm-hmm. first of all, um, and I was raised conservative. I became more religious after attending university for the first two years, feeling that I needed a stronger connection to the true reality in our world, and so became uh, from at the age of 19, uh, went to, uh, seminary and then met my, my husband. Which seminary did you go to? We, I went to Midrash Rachel. Okay. Midrash at Rachel. Midrash mm-hmm. um, met my husband, got married, started a family and found myself living here in New York. And when, when did st- you get married? Uh, 2001. And how old were you? I was 21. 21. Wow. Yeah. So fresh out of college. Pretty much. Seminary. Yeah. 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 Um, and um, and so we have four children we live here in Great Neck amongst our wonderful community mm-hmm. um, which is made up of both Ashkenazi and Sephardic but my husband being Mishadi we are a big part and very feel very blessed to be a big part of the Mashadi community
0: we're blessed to have you to be part of Blessing our community Our <laughs> yeah. Tamara, can you th- right now we know that you're currently getting your MSW to yeah. become a certified therapist yes so, can you tell us a little bit about why you chose to become a therapist? Ah, good and question. Your whole
2: journey with that. Sure. Um, it's a very long story, but I will mm-hmm. make it more concise. Uh, becoming a social worker, which, when you go on to get your LCSW, allows you to be certif- certified in, um in therapy, Um in psychotherapy that is. I'm By sorry. the way,
0: that's Tamar's dog. <laughs> That's her dog, Ollie. He's part
2: who's, of myself Yes. Okay. You forgot to mention that he's yeah. part of your family. Yes. Oliver is our fifth <laughs> child. He's Hi, He's sitting on my lap currently. <laughs> um, he's very cute. Yes. So um, I, I've always been uh, involved in helping other people throughout mm-hmm. my life. And um, through various paths, I have been put in the position to be giving advice. Um, I feel very strongly about education and being certified in in these sorts of areas. So when Push came to shove and I had an opportunity to go back to school,
1: mm-hmm. I decided
2: that I would that it meant something to have the letters after the name and that being aligned with a bigger um, entity than oneself, like a university, in my case, a Yeshiva University Wswhiler School of Social Work um, it has value and it has direction. And so I, I being somebody who for the last 10 years has spent a lot of my time guiding people, um, sort of life coaching style, Mm -hmm. which is, has so much value all in of its own. Uh, but for me, I felt it was more valuable that I could give back more to the community and the people who needed from me if I had the education behind it. So that's why I went back to school.
0: That's very inspiring because I feel like so many people think, like, I'm too old. I can't do this now. It's too late to start. No. You know, the time that I had to do it, that time is over. No, nope. And here you are. I mean, how old are you right now?
2: I will be 41 on Friday.
0: Yeah. So you're you're 41 on Friday. Mm-hmm. Happy, mm-hmm. Birthday. Happy early birthday. <laughs> Thank you. And you're, it's just so inspiring to see someone like you and so
2: many other people starting their careers at this age, as opposed to like right when they leave college. I think at every stage in every stage of life, um, we, we have the opportunity to reinvent ourselves. And I think that it's very important to do that. That doesn't necessarily mean everyone goes back to school Mm -hmm. for some people. It means that they delve deeper into a a different hobby or they choose to focus on their family differently for me Uh, it felt right to go back to school in this, in this period of redevelopment of myself.
0: Wow. And this, do you feel like we have to always develop ourselves or do you think development just happens and then
2: that's it? It's Mm -hmm. like saying, do you think that you climb up a mountain by staying still? Uh (laughs) No, in my perspective, from my perspective, it is um, incumbent upon everybody to continuously develop themselves. Whatever that means, that could be different. Even if they're seventy years old. Yeah, sure. I've seen it. I've seen it. I actually am doing my internship now, um, in at the same time as part of my uh, master's degree, um, in at the Cape Mental Health Clinic, which is next to Sanfield Y, and it's a geriatric mental health clinic. And some of the healthiest patients that we see. Um, are those who understand that they need to continuously develop themselves and they're coming to therapy to do that or to help themselves do that. So yeah, I think that there's redevelopment at every stage all the way through.
0: And Tamara, can you tell us what field of therapy you're interested in and what modality of therapy you believe works best? Interesting. I,
2: I don't know Honestly, because I am at the beginning of my education, mm-hmm. um, I have enjoyed, and just like this much. I can tell you, I have enjoyed working with, um, um, uh, individuals in their twenties who are dating and figuring themselves out. Mm-hmm. I have also very much enjoyed working with family dy- within the family dynamics so family therapy. Um, and surprisingly enough I've very much enjoyed working in the geriatric demographic. I never thought, never thought I would enjoy it this much, but to be very honest with you, things don't really change that much and talking to people who are 60s and up um, it doesn't their issues and their the are work similar? that they need to do are not so different there are still really? believe it or not there's still clicks it, when in no. the older, I know the things that we hope you to think, get away from, right? Do you think cr- high school ends at high school? No, but. it's totally, for me it did. And for some people they can decide not to be, you know, behave like a high school student, mm-hmm. but there are always going to be those people out there. So, so I've enjoyed every stage. I've also enjoyed working with children. I see through their development where we can make it easier for them as they reach those dating years and all the way up through their geriatric years. I've, I've seen the effects of of different kinds of trauma or experiences in a child's life. So I think that working in, in the pediatric demographic is also very valuable. And within each, there, there is value as far as modality. Individual therapy is very valuable, uh, and it gives an opportunity for individualized therapy. So we're really working on very private areas um, mm-hmm. specific to one person that maybe they wouldn't feel so comfortable speaking about in group therapy. But I've also seen group therapy work, uh, with patients who are suffering with obsessive-compulsive disorder because they learn valuable skills from each other and mm-hmm. they, they, it's cognitive behavioral therapy in that sense. And they also uh, see they're not alone. So it normalizes to a degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's true. So, so yeah, I think that, um, group and individual therapy are both, uh, have their moments. And, and value. do you believe
0: in cognitive behavioral therapy as that? as the mode of therapy.
2: Well, right. So cognitive behavioral therapy is a kind of therapy that is usually done one-on-one, although it can be taught in groups. Like like I mentioned, it can be yeah. done in both scenarios. Um and I've seen it work wonders. Wow. Yeah. I've I've seen I've seen I've seen it work wonders. I've so that's actually
0: changing a person's thoughts and therefore changing their actions. Is right. So it's, it's
2: giving them the skills to be in the face of um, something that makes them anxious and gives them the skills to move past the anxiety, recognize it, um, and, and move past it so that they can be functional in their everyday life, right? When we have something that makes us anxious, that stops us from living a normal everyday life, then that's a problem. Um, and that's Mm -hmm. when therapy can really help. But like I said, I'm at the beginning of my education. So I, I see it, from a first-year intern's perspective, but I also see it as somebody who has watched many people go through therapy and be able to grow from it, wow. like bystander style, you know?
0: For sure, for sure. So let's go into what you're really interested in, which is you like to work with singles. Mm-hmm. I know you like to work with all types yes, of people, but... I think your main passion is to work with singles when they're dating and then when they enter relationships Mm -hmm. can you tell us about common um, dating challenges that you see today
2: well I think that the very first place to start in the challenges that I see uh, is a lack of self-development or self-awareness okay I think that everybody can do more to develop themselves or in the case of parents, help their children develop themselves mm-hmm. from the get go. Um, not when they're 16, but really from when they're born. Wow. Um, really the parent needs to listen, like practice listening to their child and practice um, paying attention to what they're really interested in and honing that instead of having- Listening to a, their child. Right. And instead of having- so, Of course it's our, our job to, to guide them into appropriate areas, but you know, if your kid is not interested in basketball, don't push mm-hmm. that, you know, mm-hmm. give them the confidence, ask them and pay attention, give them lots of options. Very, very important to later on in life dating. No, we're not building our child to date. And yes, mm-hmm. marriage is a goal, but it's not the only ultimate goal. Okay, but yes. Healthy marriage is Healthy. The goal. Healthy marriage is the goal. Healthy people is the goal. Right. Uh, but, but the biggest problem is um, uh, lack of self-awareness and self-development, A, that's A. Mm-hmm. Um, B. The next problem I see is that a lot of people just don't know how to have healthy relationships, whether it's because they've never been in one or they've never seen one.
0: Because of their parents. I'll oh, say. maybe, maybe.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I don't want to. I don't <laughs>
2: want to put words. Sometimes that happens. I think you know when when people get to the to the point where they're ready to get engaged with a dating partner, um, everyone has to make a leap. Some yeah. for some it's small, like mm-hmm. a little hippity hop, yeah. and for some it's much larger because they they are afraid they don't. They don't know how to have a healthy, productive relationship because maybe they have never seen one. Uh, maybe their parents didn't have a wonderful relationship or maybe the single didn't have a wonderful relationship with the parents so didn't really pay attention to their relationship so much. Um, uh, maybe the parents were divorced and they never really witnessed a relationship there. So whatever the reason is, there are a plethora of reasons why somebody would be afraid. But the next, the next B would be, um, they don't know how to develop healthy relationships, and so it, there's a fear there. That's mm-hmm. a dating, dating issue, number two.
0: How do I mean? How does one, if they don't have proper guidance, or they never saw a healthy relationship, or their parents never taught them and listened to them, are they doomed? Like, no, how no, is one no, no, supposed no. to get on this?
2: Nope, not doomed. When they don't have, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like sure. The
0: resources. Uh,
2: listen, I'm here, but and there are plenty of reputable dating coaches and relationship consultants in the world. But there are also really kind people in the world who have really good relationships. And if a single does not has not witnessed a good relationship for whatever reason, uh, then it, and and they want to have a healthy relationship, they recognize the deficiency that they have. There are plenty of people for them to reach out to in any community, certainly ours. Yeah. But in any community, anywhere in the world, they can align themselves with, let's call them quote-unquote surrogate parents, mm-hmm. where they find a family that they really admire because they are so healthy and functional, and they, they watch. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just about under, be, being able to be aware that there's a deficiency there yeah. and then aligning yourself with the right kind of people. That's the
0: first step. They have to be aware of it. And right. I feel like a lot of people aren't even aware well, that
2: they're. That's yeah. step one, lack yeah. of self-awareness, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. Wow.
2: So you're giving, you know, people a lot of hope <laughs> that there is. Oh, yeah. Well, I think we go back to one of your first questions about self-development and does that ever stop and it never stops. It
0: never stops. You have to know
2: what you want. You have to know how to get it. Well, if you don't know how to get it, there are plenty of people out there who can help you get there. That's a life coach. A life coach is someone who takes you from point A to point B, which is a wonderful skill to have, right? And sometimes it's easier to go to somebody and have them map it out for you. That's wonderful. Um, Therapists are people... uh, psychotherapists, social workers, these sorts of helping people are those who find the barriers and help you break them down. Mm-hmm. So that's, or, and maybe even delving into your past, which is yes. not necessarily the same as a life coach, slightly right. different. And
0: the, and therapists do what a life coach does as well. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's
2: all kind of mixed in. Yeah. You
0: know? Yeah.
2: So you spoke about
0: dating issues. What about marriage and relationship issues? Mm-hmm. So what do
2: you see is a common problem Okay. So um, we talked about the problems that exist as far as starting off in the yes. dating world. But um, but honestly, I see when a married couple comes to me and they're having conflict, mm-hmm. it's usually one of five categories. And these are the same five categories that when people are dating, they need to be aware of them uh, when as it's to know if the relationship that they're getting into has potential for health. Mm-hmm. Okay. So these five categories are attraction very important. Mm -hmm. Second, I'm just listing them here. Second one is respect, admiration. Mm
1: -hmm. Okay. Like
2: you look at your spouse and you know that you're going to be able to admire them and respect them for who they are. Um, the third category Ah. is communication that you're able to have healthy communication Ah. because life is a challenge and communication is the cornerstone of every relationship. And so husband and wife need to be able to, with their respect intact, communicate with each other because, you know, life's not difficult issues
0: too. not just communicate about where they're going for dinner, but where to send their kids for school, where to live. Or even if they want to communicate something uncomfortable, Yeah, let's talk about something.
2: Let's, let's talk about, okay, so there are the uncomfortable things like, honey, I'm having an issue with Mm XYZ, but there's also, I will say it, you know, husbands and wives must have a healthy sexual relationship Mm -hmm. and they need to be able to communicate about that as well. Mm -hmm. I'm a college teacher as well, so this is very, very important. It's a very important aspect to the marriage relationship. It's one of the things that makes the marriage relationship so strong. Relationship is so different from all other relationships and, you know, it is something that I ask if a couple comes to me and they're having your difficulties i ask how's your sex life i don't need to know necessarily details mm-hmm. but i do believe in in um in developing healthy relationships because sure mm-hmm. um, okay i don't want to lose track so we said the first three are um uh, attraction respect admiration communication mm-hmm. the fourth one is that a couple has to be heading in a similar religious and or life's direction mm-hmm. okay and the fifth one is that with dating couples i call this category the fifth category readiness for marriage for a married couple, they both need to be committed to the marriage. So mm-hmm. similar enough, um, but right. just different based on the the, uh, the as quality of the or the stage of relationship right. that they're in.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so
2: you would say some of the common issues would be one well, of those sides. One of those. Either ones. someone has let themselves go. Okay, attraction, or something has changed, mm-hmm. like a uh, spouse has lost a job. Uh, due to whatever reason, okay, maybe there was an addiction and the, the other spouse is having a hard time admiring and respecting them. Their communication is broken down. Mm -hmm. Um, they've taken a turn religiously. Okay. Mm -hmm. Or one of them is not committed to the relationship. These are some of the common issues that I see that we deal with. Mm -hmm. And I'm very clear with my clients that I am, I am what I am. I'm not yet a licensed Marriage therapist. I'm a relationship consultant. Take it for what it is, but my advice is based not on education at this point. It's based on my life's experience,
0: my life experience, my own
2: marriage. Yes, (laughs) my own, my own life.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's wonderful. You've given such fantastic and really advice that resonates with people and helps people in our community and even outside of our community. So thank you for that. Pleasure. So let's talk about a little bit about your life. We're going to take a little turn for this conversation. So for those of you who don't know, Tamar had a story, has a big story with her daughter, um, her daughter, Sarah. Tamar and her family went through an ordeal, to say the least, um, with their eldest daughter, Sarah, not once, but Mm -hmm. twice. And the second time around was just Mm life-altering and i think it not just changed you and your family but it changed everybody in our community you really it really left an impact on everyone so can you tell us i mean i know we can go on and on about what happens with your daughter
2: but just briefly tell us what happened and sure in a nutshell yeah um 2009 when avh1n1 swine flu virus was traveling all over the world Sara was no different than anyone else, and she contracted the swine flu, but for her, it attacked her heart, and it caused something called myocarditis, which is a, a, there's a, a filling up a fluid between the, the heart muscle and the heart, uh, like the membrane outside the heart, which causes the heart to be distressed, and in Sara's case, um, despite every all of their efforts, she went into heart failure and then cardiac arrest, so all of this from the flu, right? Um, this was what year? In 2009. The first time first around. First time. So she was on ECMO life support for, um, six days and on CVVH for about two weeks, which is, um, continuous dialysis. Um, she ended up having her left toes amputated, so it's called a transmetatarsal amputee. And she had, um, some of her muscle in her upper and lower leg were compromised, so, um, so her, her left leg was left not functioning as well as everything else, but her heart recovered, her kidneys recovered, and she really re- resumed a, a fairly normal life after that until 2013 when, mm-hmm. um, despite her, you know, despite having had the, the flu shot in 2013, she still can, same thing happened. She got a, sw- a a flu B this time. It wasn't swine flu, it, it was flu B. It was a different flu virus different flu strain. But the same thing happened, myocarditis, um, ECMO, uh, CDH. And then this, this time, because there was so much um, scar tissue on her heart, her heart and her kidneys, neither of them ever recovered. Uh, so she went from ECMO life support to VIVADS, bi- bi- which is basically a mechanical functioning of the heart whilst waiting for a heart transplant. That was really the only uh, solution, and we're so lucky that yeah. we are in New York, and we are able to uh, be treated by New York uh, Morgan Stanley Children's Hospital, which they are the front runners in cardiac transplant in probably the world. Uh, Dr. Linda Ednesio was one of the first transplant doctors to perform uh, the yeah. the uh, first pediatric transplant, which took place in um, New York Presbyterian Hospital in 1986. So we are super lucky that she was available to help our Sarah and Sarah, but Sarah waited nine weeks, which is a very, 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 very long time for somebody as sick as she. And we saw people coming in and out with much, much, um, less severe illnesses who didn't make it on the ICU floor, but Sarah just kept persisting and you know, she's a fighter. No, she's stubborn. She's stubborn as, as all anything. But she got her transplant, and um, thank God, and it was a very slow recovery. She lost her right leg above the knee uh, because of circulation issues, and um, she spent the better part of 17 months in the hospital the second time and then only after that did she was she even strong enough to receive the kidney which came yes, straight but from her dad. Yes, what one the kidney. So kidneys usually go down when the heart goes down. Mm-hmm. Um because of all the debris in the blood and that it's essentially a filter for the blood. So if the heart fails then the kidneys usually get bogged down with garbage and they fail too and um in Sarah's case they never recovered. So both kidneys? Both. Yeah, both kidneys. So um she was not strong enough to receive a heart kidney combo from her from her heart donor sometimes they do that a she wasn't strong enough b we think that her donor had some issue with the kidney maybe diabetes i don't know right. um, but the kidney was not available for transplantation anyway <laughs> <It's okay. laughs> and um and so she did not receive the kidney with the heart which meant that she was on dialysis uh, from from then for let's say a year until she was able to even be strong enough to receive. In the meantime, this we all got This is after tested. her heart transplant. This is after the heart. So my husband and I and my brother-in-law all got tested to see if we were matches. Usually they find maybe one match, but it's not so common to find three matches in a family. We were all good matches, all of us. And oh, my husband and I like to say that we arm wrestled for the privilege of um, donating a kidney. But I think Orange just preferred... Um, to To sleep and recover, <laughs> rather than running back and forth between two hospitals oh, for the two recovering patients. Um, but wow. so, Oren donated his kidney. It was actually something that he had um, had in mind to do from when he was a child. He wanted to donate his kidney. He just didn't know to whom. And then, it, you know, look Crazy. at this, right? Crazy. Um, so yeah. So after her kidney transplant, she flew. She it was so amazing what a little tiny kidney can do. Uh, it just gave her her life back. Her hair started growing back. She was overproducing saliva, which was very hard for her socially. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um she wasn't able to heal properly without the kidney. She was feeling terrible without her kidney, you know. So kidney just gave her her life back. It was just amazing. Overnight, she felt better. She woke up immediately from the transplant saying, I feel so much better.
0: From the kidney yeah. transplant? Yeah, uh-huh. What about after the heart transplant?
2: She did not, I mean, she was alive after the heart right. transplant, but she was right. still very sick, uh, very, very, very sick after so the heart. It was heart.
0: really the kidney that gave her her, like, vitality and her strength.
2: Yeah. Right. I sort of liken it to a mikveh, like the kidney is sort uh-huh. of like the filter of the body and the mikveh is kind of, is the kind of like the filter for the soul. Um, the heart is kind of like the shul, right? <laughs> in the community. Um, you go wow. there to be revived and yeah. to, to you know, to get life, to to be a part of a living the community is like a living, breathing thing, like mm-hmm. a human almost um entity. So I always like in the heart transplant to having an active shoal in the kidney to having an active working functional mikveh.
0: <laughs> this is unbelievable. Tomorrow, I'm sitting here, I'm just I'm fascinated and I'm amazed by your strength, by your courage, by the fact that you're so sitting here and you're like laughing is is...
2: I think that we all have challenges in life bigger big and small some people have massive challenges but we all have the same choice and that is do you make lemonade out of your lemons or do you just suck a lemon And I don't like, I don't like lemons. (laughs) I like lemonade better. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I've done to save myself. That's to keep my sanity. My husband is different and he Mm -hmm. didn't quite like understand how I was operating while Sarah was so sick, but I, I like to keep moving. And if I can look on the positive, like, right, this is the problem. And then I can see the solution. We just have to get there. And I sort of like hop from one stone of solution to the next. And then finally I find ourselves across the, the, the the river you know that that seems like it's taking gonna take our life and our vitality away from us we we find little places to hop across it but that's how i survive is just to see a path and to to go full steam ahead towards it
0: was there ever a time that you felt like enough enough is enough heart transplant now her leg now her kidney
2: mm-hmm. what's
0: like was there ever a time where they were just angry and you were like enough is yeah. enough
2: already yeah yeah this year actually mm-hmm. uh i while we were so busy with all of the nuts and bolts like the heart is really just plumbing you know kidney you could say the same thing although it's slightly different but those things have solutions and mm-hmm. there are medications to um support those changes in yeah can kidney, you tell whatever. us a little bit
0: about that because sure i think you get a heart transplant and then uh, okay you uh, got a heart
2: well, I'll tell you about that in a second. Let me tell you about the challenge, since that's the first question you yeah. asked me. The challenge came this year when the emotional struck. So, Sarah is now 17 years old. And um, until now, she's really been very even keel. And I, I don't like to use the word strong, because no one's made out of steel. But she's sort of gone, you know, gone with it. And she's had her moments of, let's say, you know... Uh, emotional diarrhea, as I call it. <laughs> Sorry mm-hmm. to use such a grotesque word, but it mm-hmm. is. You know, moments where, the, you know, the raw, sheer emotion of this is not fair and this is not comfortable and this is hard and exhausting have to come out. But generally speaking, she was okay. But at the age of 17, being a kid in a wheelchair, um, often, it, you know, when yeah. everyone else is starting to get their license and nothing will stop her from getting her license, believe me, oh. mm-hmm. except for maybe herself, she has to want it. But now we're not dealing with the, the the nuts and bolts, right? Now we're dealing with emotions, which I actually find harder to deal with. Um, there is no magic fix. There is no medication that you can take. Of course, we, I strongly believe in in you know psychotropic medications and SSRI medications and anti anxiety whatever whatever a person needs to be able to be their best functional self. If that's what it is, I believe in it. But um, but I found that that um, that. Uh, the refu'ah for the emotional is so much more difficult and so much more taxing it's on so me. So interesting
0: that you say that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So much more taxing on, on me as a parent. Mm-hmm. I see it so much more taxing on my children. Um, so yeah, this year I was like, okay, enough. She started having some anxiety. We worked through it and, you know, she's a normal kid. I think most normal kids have anxiety. She happens mm-hmm. to have seen a little too much of reality in life. So I'm not surprised and, and totally Understand yeah. why, but that's that's been the most difficult. The heart and kidney I could deal with. We were busy. I was working on it. You know, the doctors were supporting us. Because you had oh, a goal, it, yeah, had yes, There was this. an easy solution. It's not like that with um, the emotional self. It's it. There's so much more. It it's so much less visible. It's, hmm. it's invisible. Yeah. So it it, it and it, yet it still needs a cure. But we can't see what the s- exact symptoms are. you know it's uh it's very subjective um so yeah so
0: do you feel like you didn't get to experience
2: the emotions while you were going through this ordeal um because you were too busy i think that's that it's fair to say that being busy kept me kept me from going into a pit that's just me because i'm a mover and a shaker i think Mm -hmm. those who usually or often get, um, intimidated by having to do a lot would probably, and I, I saw it in the SU just having so much going on means that they crumble. So I, I do better when I have a lot to do. Not, I'm not saying that I'm glad she had so much work to be done. No, not at all, right. but, but yeah, when she went back to school in eighth grade, I, it's like, I, I called myself the, 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 the uh, the wounded soldier. So when Sarah went back to school after all of this in eighth grade, I started noticing my wounds and I had to take care Cause of them. Because
0: you had to, you were seeing it. You weren't busy with right. that stuff anymore. Right. And well, I still was. was
2: I was yeah. still less uh, busy with it. Yes, yeah, so <laughs> you
0: were less busy. So can you tell us about what you were busy with after, thank God, she went to eighth grade. She got, first of all, oh, she got her heart. She got her kidney. She. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about? with her leg? What happened
2: with her legs? So Sarah has um, been to the top prosthetists in this area and I think that New York is um, probably houses um, the be- one of, some of the best prosthesis in the world. And so she was fit several times with a prosthesis Sarah's left leg so her existing leg is compromised from her first experience mm. so she's a transmetatarsal amputee which means she has no toes on that leg and her muscles are compromised so she can do all the way bent and she can do all the way straight but she doesn't have the gray area of motion on her existing native leg so when it came to walking with a prosthetic she was not the average amputee and not only that, but she's an above the knee amputee on the right side, which means she has to work 30% harder to operate her prosthesis without her need of knee. So it's, it's that much more difficult. And, uh, she felt very encumbered by the leg. It was heavy. It was, it's hot. Mm -hmm. Um, her skin is very susceptible to breakdown because of some of the medication she takes. So, um, so Sarah has, at this point, we've gone through cycles of you know, taking her to the top physical therapist who works specifically with amputees and sending her to amputee camps, so she is exposed to children who have multiple different kinds of amputations you know we we went, we've been there all the way to the extreme, and now I have um, admitted to myself and have been honest with her and has said it's your body, it's your life. You need to choose, but whatever you choose, whether it's sitting in a wheelchair or I should say being in a wheelchair or wearing a leg, you have to be your best self and you have to commit to it and you have to do it right. So, you know, I'm not, I, I don't want to allow her to sit and do nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have full control over her. So um, in this, this uh, teenage chapter of her life, it's so difficult, life, oh. but I've had to step away so that she can find her legs, if you will. You know and so she is has chosen to be in a wheelchair um for right now for now and and maybe forever I don't know Mm -hmm. I've told her that I love her and I support her no matter what she decides but she's got to do it right like she's got to. I want I want to see her popping wheelies in this chair you know I want to see her driving I want to see her getting around I want to see her figuring it out I don't I don't care that if, if she doesn't make her less, less functional. It shouldn't. Okay. You know what? Let's be honest. It does make her, it makes things harder, but that yeah. just means we have to be more creative. We do come up. We do come across stumbling blocks and sometimes we can knock it down. Sometimes we have to go around it. You know, the block remains, but we find a different way to accomplish a similar goal.
0: Wow. So how do you think you can encourage her along this path without you know, stepping in her zone with a
2: giving sure her space I don't know I think there's strength in the surrender and I do not know what the answer is Very I'm strength figuring surrender. I'm figuring that out every single day and I get frustrated every single day but um, but I know that I, the only thing I can think of is through example just showing her that I am not that I do not give up and that I believe in her and that wow. um, that I push myself right so if she sees that I'm a mover and a shaker. She'll. I'm hoping that she'll take example from that.
0: This reminds me of, you know, the quote that you that you see go around that children don't do what you say; they do, do, what you what do what you do. Mm-hmm. And you're like the prime example of
2: well, that quote. I hope they don't do everything I do because <laughs> <laughs> I am a human and I make plenty, plenty of, of mistakes. we oh, all make mistakes. Too many. I know. But, but so hopefully they'll take the good and they'll leave the bad. <laughs> well, they ha- they'll have their own mistakes, right? Sure. But that's where God comes in and we say, please, God, yeah. help guide them, help them see and help them have clarity and strength.
0: Yeah. I Amen. am not perfect. Amen. Right. So speaking of God, can you tell us what it means to have a healthy relationship with God?
2: Well, I can tell you what it means for me. I can tell you also what it doesn't mean for me. Um, having a healthy okay. relationship. Okay, so God, um, so going through it, I remember discussing distinctly with my husband in the, in the throes of the trauma, feeling that we were so lucky to have God to connect to. Um, and, and really, I gained a lot of strength watching the miracles as they were unfolding. I chose to see them as miracles. Some people look mm-hmm. at them and see them as trauma and traumatic um, and catastrophic. And that they were. But for every breath she took, and every time that her heart, her blood pressure returned to normal from being too low or too high, it was a, a success. And I felt the success, and I knew that it came from God. So having God in my life kept me sane. Mm-hmm. Um, now, um, I I I would be lying if I said I never struggled. I think that it has helped me cut the fat um, when it comes to being religious to me. Can you explain that? Sure. I see, I think it exists in every faction, in every aspect of every culture in this world Mm -hmm. that we often get sidetracked and confused by the material. So the kind of hat and the kind of belt and the kind of watch and the kind of shirt. And do you wear jeans? And do you wear... T-shirts, and do you cover with a wig? Mm-hmm. Do you cover with a hat? Now there are so many. Spockings. Do you yeah. not respond? Do you wear open-toe shoes? Do you wear clothes? Do you have a TV? Do you have internet? Do you have a smartphone? I could go on forever. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, it really does not matter if you are being your best self. You're honestly being your best self and trying to connect with Hashem and trying to figure out what lessons you are supposed to be learning through the challenges that He has given you. Um, so I. I stopped seeing ultimate value in the kinds of clothes that people wear. I try to look past that. Um, and I don't have to try too hard because I have, you know, in a perfect world you would see the most devout person behaving the best. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily how it works. Or so, outwardly devout person. Or, right. Right. Or mm-hmm. or let's say the, the least observant being... Being, I don't know, I don't know, I never thought that. A party animal. Right, or whatever. But, but I, I enjoy expecting the best out of everybody and not judging them at all based on what they look like. And also trying not to allow myself to fall into that trap because there are aspects of myself and my own self care that I must participate in in order to stay sane, like dance class, mm-hmm. okay? Now, I don't mm-hmm. perform in public. I am not in any videos on Facebook. <laughs> but I do attend a dance class. You just came back dance just class. Just <laughs> now. Twice or three times a week that allows me to express myself. And it brings me a level of soul healing that nothing else in this world does. Okay? And God made me. That's and right. he made me with my preferences and my skills and my talents. And I know that I'm supposed to use this for my healing. And so I will not allow the naysayers or the people to say, oh, you know, maybe they'll thumb their nose at me. I don't really care. I'm not looking around to see if anyone's doing that. But, but really being religious and having a relationship with God is saying, God, I understand that you made me with my strengths and my weaknesses and my preferences and my passions. And dance is one of my passions and it has really supported me. I literally plan my, my weekly schedule around it. Um, and always have, even from the days that Sarah was in the ICU, it was very important for my self-care that I go to dance class as, as often as possible. And I would even get babysitters to be with my other kids for that one hour, and it was always after their bedtime anyway. Um, so uh, dance is something that's important to me. So my relationship with God does not involve what people think of me. I know that I'm well, being my, right. Mm-hmm. I'm, and I'm not afraid of what they might think of me. If I decide to go to, you know, attend a dance class or listen to secular music because it's uplifting, like Simon Garfunkel, for instance. Okay. It's uplifting. It's not raunchy. It's not, it's not, you know, haredi religious, Israeli, Hebrew music. Mm-hmm. It's not Torah music. And it's fine. If those have, if if there are people in the world who feel connected to God by listening only to Jewish music, great. You have to be honest with yourself and know what works for you. That's fine. And I do not judge you, nor do I wish to be judged by anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, I can't control other people. But my yeah. relationship with God, um, going through this whole experience, um, has become more, um, or I should say not become more, it, in addition to the spiritual connection that I have, um, and it's still there through my prayer, through my observance, Um, I also have a practical level of of religious observance and understanding that God wants me to use my passions and my talents for good in the world.
0: Wow. I'm so touched by everything you just said. I'm like... (laughs) I'm
2: just talking too much. And that's Ollie talking too much.
0: Hi, Ollie. Hi, Ollie. So, yeah, when Ollie's back, I have another question for you.
2: I'm I'm here.
0: Um, First of all, I just love what you said about having a relationship with God, it's so not like the cookie cutter answer that you would expect from a quote unquote religious woman that you're showing that to be religious or to have a connection with Hashem and your religion, your tradition, it's to discover yourself, be yourself and find out who you are and yeah, how you can contribute. Yeah, within, within, halacha. within a yeah. halacha framework, yeah. right. It doesn't have to be like this
2: or that, or no. you know, no. And and there were times. Listen, I'm I'm a Balat Teshuvah. I I did not grow up, you know, religious, and so there was a lot of time where I was just following the the path, you know, yeah. following the norm and wearing what everyone else is wearing, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that, and I probably would have happily continued on that path had I not been challenged. But I was challenged. We were challenged, and it forced us to dig deeper and discover ourselves be honest with ourselves about what we needed to do and be and see and listen to um in this world to survive and be Mm -hmm. what be the change that we want to see in the world you've seen that quote but that's true that's what god wants from us we're each created with uh, an individual neshama headed in a distinct path that only we can travel and change and um and and you can only do that by being honest with yourself honesty would you say that that's an important value that I yeah. live by? I keep saying that, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I'm honesty. It. Honesty. Okay. I I I have developed a a sixth sense, I suppose, that when you know when when I am with a person who is emotionally honest with themselves and they are being real and true, um, I am attracted to that. Okay, how can you tell when someone's being honest? It's an intuition. It's intuition. It's a sense. Um, I, 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 I talk to my children about it, like, wow, I really like that person, and it, usually my sentence is, they're so real, you know, mm-hmm. they hear me say this a million times, and it really doesn't matter, um, you know, we've been exposed now to religious Jews, not religious Jews, Christians, um, non-Jews of all kinds, people of different cultural backgrounds and religions, and and uh, we've connected to a lot of them, like our nurses, our doctors, our our roommates, our you know whatever,
0: mm-hmm. in the
2: hospital and in rehab and all of that. And there is there is so much to be gained from relationships with people from all from all cultures. But we connect to those who are real and honest and true. So true, yeah. And people who aren't honest connect with people who aren't honest
0: either. <laughs> whatever, and that's not my business. And yes. you know everyone's got their own way. That's right. Um, okay, so we're going to get a touchy subject. Okay, touch away. <laughs> um, I know you're extremely passionate about it, and I feel it's important to spread the word on this show. And the subject is vaccinations. da da, da. <laughs> Can you explain to us why this is so important for you? First of all, what's your stance on vaccinations
2: for those of the
0: people who don't know?
2: I believe that... Um, that every... Well, and I can speak for myself, okay? But I believe in vaccinating my children um, against everything that is possible to vaccinate for. Again, I am not a doctor. Um, I am a medical mom. Medical mom. Okay? So um, the way... I have I have educated myself by speaking to all of my daughters and my children's doctors, my own doctor as well. Um, I have done my own research... So that I can, um, so that I can see what's going on on the other side of things as well. People who don't believe in vaccinations. And I want to be clear that I, I try my best to be respectful of all people who, who may not share my beliefs in this world, but, but I, there's also the concern of public safety and not everybody, people who have decided not to vaccinate um, have been successful in that their children haven't gotten illnesses or some of their children have not gotten these illnesses because of pack immunity. Right. Right. And so most people are vaccinated and most people are immune. So those that are not vaccinated are usually safe because of the, the immunity of the surrounding. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, but we have to be very honest. There are those amongst us. We live in a very close-knit community. We're always huddled together in some happy occasion or kiss, kiss, double kisses, (laughs) double kiss, or sad occasions or school or play dates or we're always with each other and it's a beautiful thing. But we have to be uh, conscious, conscientious and sensitive to those amongst us who do not have the luxury of relying on a healthy, strong immune system. The elderly, okay, the infirm, Mm -hmm. the young. Um, infirm would include my daughter because she is a double, uh, organ recipient, heart and kidney. And that means you asked me a question before about her medication. Right. So life did not, you know, the medical trauma did not end with the two transplants. Yeah. She still takes about 10 medications twice a day. Um, so let's say all. no, let will say 10. I'm not counting right now, but mm-hmm. let's say 10, 10 medications throughout the day. She has a gastric tube, a G tube that, that is a port. Um, directly into her stomach so that overnight she can pump loads of water she should be doing that right now but she's not um she has to do this on a daily basis every day she needs to either imbibe or pump 2.5 liters which most people do not do i didn't even know that yeah so that's for her kidney health so um and she takes a lot of immunosuppression so that her body and her new organs are always best friends
0: and she does okay. has to do this for the rest of her, rest life.
2: Of her life. I may have estrogen until 120. Mm-hmm. Yes, she needs to take this medica- these medications, um, and it does lower her ability to fight off certain infections. Even um, like a cold, even a cold becomes a huge ordeal. Most people, if they get a cold or they have a fever, they go to the pediatrician, they get oral antibiotics, they go home, they recover. For Sarah, as soon as she has a fever, we have to go back into the ER. My life stops. Her life stops. Everyone's life is impacted, and so I, I you know, on a person. We've gone to the ER a couple—not t- a couple of oh, times. many a- times. We've we've been to the ER so much that we're friends with the nurses. We have our own bedroom there. They know us by name. Everyone knows our deal, and that's that. There's a certain amount of comfort in that because when you have a plan and when you know what's coming next and expected, and then it's not so freaky. But it's so. You know, it's, yeah, it's scary. I'm, I'm certainly not going to take that away. But, but you know, it's also, you know, when people come out and forget, one thing is the vaccinations, but the other thing is people coming out in public being sick. Like, we're about to start flu season again, mm-hmm. and I find that people are, they send their kids to school because they want to get on with their day. Um, uh, they want to go to work because they want to ah. make a buck. I totally get it. It's so inconvenient to be sick. But we do have... Responsibility. responsibility. So in going out when sick and also with regard to, um, to vaccinations, we have a responsibility to each other not to do that, not to go out when we're sick and spread germs and handshakes and blah, you know, um, you know, I can't control other people. And so I just, I say my thing and I do my thing and I, and I pray to God. And, but you know, I just have, since we're talking about it on your show, we have to, we have to discuss being responsible and keeping your family home and keeping yourself home when you're ill for the benefit of others and for your own benefit, to be honest. But also is with regard to, um, to vaccinations. It's, it's very hard for me. I have not been given a choice by God. God gave us Sarah and gave Sarah her, her situation. Um, And God has also helped us and allowed us to create vaccinations and keep ourselves safe. And we're supposed to make our history and keep ourselves safe. They've been proven time and time again by doctors that they are safe and effective. And, of course, they're going to be outliers. I will not sit here and say there are not cases where children are harmed or people are harmed from vaccinations. That would be a lie. There, There are certain courts that people can go to when there are issues with vaccinations. So we know that it exists. No one ever said that anything is 100%, okay, but certainly the risks outweigh the benefits. The yeah. benefits, sorry, yeah. the benefits outweigh the risks. The risks are very small. There was one doctor, um, Wakefield. Wow, I can't believe I remembered his name. Dr. Wakefield you know in a lot of England, names. <laughs> in England who published um, a paper I can't remember the exact year, but it was about um, that the MMR vaccination caused autism. And he was not doing it in a scientific way. Mm-hmm. He was collecting samples at birthday parties. It was not done according to uh, the letter of the science law, if you will. And um, unfortunately, he let out Pandora's box. And he put he released this idea into the world that vaccinations can cause autism. That's the first
0: thing that people say. Yeah, about and 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 you know
2: what? And and he's been disproven so many times, and he's been stripped of every medical license that he's ever earned, um, and and uh, and yet, he he opened Pandora's box, and so right. once that box is open, you cannot put those words back in. Yeah. So unfortunately, I feel that. People should be vaccinating their children and themselves. And I, I feel respectfully, and I say that honestly, I feel that if parents decide not to vaccinate their children, that's their choice. But you know what? They, schools need to, because schools are for the public and for the, you know, the vast majority of, of students in any given neighborhood, then the schools need to have a strong line and those families who choose to not not to vaccinate that's fine but those children should be homeschooled that's that's and i think a, schools are being on top of
0: it What well, we have right a now. huge
2: measles yes, situation s- exactly we're not out of the woods yet and then
0: now all the schools are making sure that no child can come to the school not all schools but most of the schools right now in our communities yeah they're making sure of that so we're almost close to time, but um, I wanted to ask you, what other causes do you advocate for?
2: Um, well, my, our family feels strongly about organ donation. So yeah. the Halachic organ donor society um, is a cause near to our heart, mm-hmm. because we would like to continue to educate the Jewish community about the facts, the Halachic facts about both donating and accepting organs. So, Hodes, um, we are strongly aligned with uh, High Lifeline and Kemp Simcha, Kemp mm-hmm. Simcha Special. Um, they have given Sarah her life back. They yeah. are a wonderful organization. They help our family continuously. The biggest donation being our wheelchair accessible van that we received in 2016 from a, a High Lifeline donorship. And Kids of Courage, mm-hmm. which is another um, organization that, that is... Um, it exists to help children with special medical needs travel the world
0: yeah I saw that yeah they're yeah, wonderful it's beautiful you actually inspired my husband and I to get a halachic organ card, so card good. yeah thank we, you we, we read about it it's so important yep um Tamar so who is your
2: greatest role model and why I have a few the first one I have to say is my mom yeah. She raised me to be a strong, independent um, uh, capable woman um, and my father. the yeah. two of them together. They're the first people that I want to mention. Um, and I, ha- I am aligned very strongly with my, my mother-in-law. She's also very she's mm-hmm. taught me so much about being a mom and uh, a wife and a homemaker that it's invaluable. She's mm-hmm. just such a special person to me. Um, and I have a, a very close friend, teacher. Her name is Joanne Dove yeah, in London. Uh, she taught me how to be a shetchanit. She taught me how to be a college teacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, she taught me how to support people in need, and um, and she really showed me the path of being a helping person in a community. So, um, Joanne, I always called my my from mom, <laughs> um, even though my, you know my mother is religious in her own ways. But, uh, the Joanne was, it it continues to be a huge source of strength for me.
0: Wow. And tomorrow I want to end off this interview. First of all, wow, there's so much. I feel like we can go on and on. This can take like hours but because (laughs) this show is only an hour. We have to condense everything. But I wanted to ask you to tell the
2: audience, what are your hopes and dreams for the world? Hmm. You know, I I I will say that um, in every aspect of my life, whether it has to do with dealing with a child with an obvious physical disability or with dating, I I wish that the world could be full of people who would just be souls looking at other souls.
1: Wow.
2: Okay, I wish that I could, you know, it, it wouldn't be we wouldn't be encumbered by our physical selves. No, this is not possible, but but maybe um, you know this is what Hashem is is looking for us to do is develop ourselves to such a point where we can see past the physicalities and the flaws and the challenges mm-hmm. and we can see past um, maybe different physical aspects that are holding people back from getting married or yeah. that would be amazing if we could you know oh. as humans develop ourselves so that souls could see souls I wish I could see everyone's soul so and not, not be blocked you making me cry? <laughs> that's this my so wish for the world there you go
0: amen I hope <laughs> is yeah, that time should come. So tomorrow, where can people find you?
2: I am on Facebook and I'm on Instagram. as matched by tomorrow. Matched by Tamar. okay. Yes. Um. However, uh, you know, life is taken over, man. In the real world, yeah. I'm not in. Cyber space. <laughs> so I'm not there as much as I once was on on Instagram. I um, loved posting about different dating locations and tips for building healthy relationships, which I still do from time to time. Yeah. You still do it. I do, but I was doing it on a daily basis. Um, and, and I guess the same thing on Facebook, I'm by tomorrow, but, um, but life has taken over. And so I'm not there as frequently as I once was. And I think that has to be okay.
0: Yeah, it is okay. Mm-hmm, yeah. And honestly, it just means that you're busy doing great things. Life. I'm doing right. life. You're
2: doing life. Yeah, that's what we want.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much tomorrow for taking the me. time to do this. Thank you very much.